Welcome to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Griego-Kyle on behalf of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, I discuss sustainable impact investing, how to create portfolios that match your values, and a variety of other topics such as financial education, environmental sustainability, social justice, and sustainable food systems. Do you want to know if your investments seek the kind of accountability from corporations that you demand? Listen in as I explore the burning question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Grego Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. Kim, I'd ask you how you're doing, but I know how you're doing. You have a return <laughs> guest and it's so fun. This is going to be a great podcast. Listening audience, if you have not heard the last podcast, you don't have to go and listen to it right now, but you're going to it want to. It will be podcast point. 93, by oh, the way. Well, we yeah. are coming up on 100. Ooh, just, very yes. quickly coming up. Yeah, man, it's exciting. Yes, we, I'm very excited. Know, well, you have a guest, so we won't talk about what we're going to do for the 100th episode, but right. maybe we'll talk about that on the next podcast. A little, little Absolutely. Preview. Yeah. I don't know. The next planned podcast is really interesting, so we'll see. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. get to today's. Why don't you reintroduce our guest? Yeah. So we're back again with Pooja Kuzla of Intelligent, the Chief Innovation Officer at Intelligent, and so many other things, scientist, professor, researcher uber yes the mom uber he coined it here first (laughs) i've never heard that before on the last podcast she said she's a mover and that to me it's a kid mover Uh, it's a mom uber i mean it's all these different things wrapped into one she's amazing yeah so school's back in session with our our favorite professor here with puja i didn't have time to talk about and ask questions on on so many things that you and I were going back and forth on. So I want to start with the with a big one. Uh, you shared with me a recent um, discussion that you had with, I, I assume, a group of financial advisors. I don't really know who exactly was in the audience, but you said in that video that we are not going to hit the 1.5 number. We'll be lucky and it's important to not hit two. So let's start there. What do we mean by that? So Kim, I know that I will be using some technical words, but I promise I will try my best and you help me to simplify it for our audience. Yeah, because this is not a um, simple issue. I just asked you like the biggest question in the room, right? Yes. So a lot of scientists together work under the umbrella of IPCC, which is International Panel of Climate Change. And they work with a lot of information and a lot of equations where they use macroeconomic factors where they use fossil fuel information, where they use a lot of policies that are coming globally to project that from current, which is business as usual climate scenario, which is expected to be 4.7 degree climate change until 2100, how we can reduce this temperature change to 2 degree or 1.5 degree 
by 2100. Which seems so far out to a lot of people, but honestly, when I was a kid, <laughs> I was like, we're never going to get to the turn of, turn of the century. So it's going to come faster than we really realize. I and think if we really have to do 1.5, we are making so much carbon that in 2030, that will already happen. <laughs> so we don't have to wait 2100 to reach that target. Right. So the the whole thing that's been happening in this industry for a number of years and a couple of decades, uh, at least, is not to increase our overall temperature, you know, across the, the globe, more than 1.5 degrees Celsius. And so what you're saying is, we're going to hit that in about six years, roughly, somewhere around there. And instead of 80 years, or, you know, 77 or something but and that's a big deal and right so you were talking about how we need to correct me if I'm not uh, if I'm not saying this right but um, you were talking about how we need to forget or or at least let go of the 1.5 and focus on the 2.0 and not going beyond that over this next 75 years. So Kim, I'm a big fan of Macbeth. Of what? Of Macbeth. What is done cannot be undone. Okay. (laughs) What is done? Yeah, you're right. You're not going to be able to go backwards at this point. If we make goals that are more achievable, more practical, moving forward, that way we can come out of systems processes, technological breakthrough, policy changes that can help us not miss the two degree bus. Okay. And so uh, we're talking about small incremental changes as we go. What would be your top two things that we need to focus on? Top two things that I will recommend the focus on one i'm a big fan of adam smith and free market hypothesis okay sometimes government interference as proposed by keynes where Mm -hmm. government can help us reach our targets faster by putting up policies and systems in place help capital markets help businesses so this time I would like to see more policies coming in that are channelized towards making the planet green because we cannot afford to lose the two degree climate target. I live in Colorado. After experiencing a couple of fires and seeing my friends and relatives losing houses. Climate change is not a fantasy anymore. It is real. We all are living it every day. Yes. And we're really going to see that with water as well. And I've talked about that on a couple of podcasts. It's a serious issue, especially in the Southwest. You know this. Um. I love that you talked about Adam Smith. That's so far back in economics for me. But, you know, what you're saying is 
we can't just uh, correct me if I'm wrong. We cannot just let the free market fix this. We need to have more regulations, more guidelines in order to get to the point where we can stop this planet from getting to 2.0. Yes, I will use one of my favorite quote from John Menard Keynes. In long run, we are all dead. So let's make our short run more livable. Oh, absolutely. I was uh, I was just looking at my notes because when you were talking, I was writing some things down that um, made sense to me. And, um, you know, essentially what you're saying here and what I wrote down is that um, energy transition, green transition can achieve this target if we do it correctly. I am an optimist, I think. Doing it correctly, we have to put our emphasis on there. It's still possible because I work with climate modelers directly and coming from mathematics and modeling background, I would say that all models are wrong and some are useful. <laughs> all models are wrong and but some are useful. Okay. Yes. Well, that makes sense. You know, we, we're we modeling out and y y there's no way to control so many different variable factors one, that change it. <laughs> one thing, I have one mistake or, or one forecast estimate that was wrong made me really proud was the renewable energy prices. No climate model or scenario forecasted that the price of Renewable energy will be so low. Interesting. And so impactful. This is a pleasant surprise to all of us in the community. So we have a strong chance to do it correctly and to do it promptly because that is a huge surprise. Right. And I was thinking, I, I try to be an optimist as well. Some days that is a little more difficult than others, but it, I think we have to believe that we can um, reduce our emissions so we don't get to that point. If we don't believe it, we're not going to work towards it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, I just always, we could talk for hours and ask questions uh, about so many things. And I want to, I want to kind of make a, a move over to, uh, you sent me this other uh, document. And I, I don't know if it's specifically a white paper, but it was very much like that. And I was kind of blown away reading that. And I think it was just the summary. And then I went down this rabbit hole of um, UN articles. <laughs> so it's a, it's an interesting topic. But, um, the, you know, the paper is talking about the new roles and responsibilities of the the COO, of a of a company in in facilitating these changes and implementation of ESG strategies in in this whole process. So when we're talking about that, I I I pulled out these things. We have to quantify, we have to qualify, and we have to certify. And just like we have certified organic, you know, it's it's a it's a bit of a process. This is where we talk about data, and I know that's your favorite thing. So how does data help us do those three things? So Kim, one thing I like about the regulations are even 
voluntary pledges for green is that they are all principle-based. By principle-based meaning? Principle-based means that nobody is telling you what you do. Everybody is requesting you do something, take an ownership. Tell us transparently what you are doing. Set up metrics to qualify that you have done what you have promised. And those metrics should have KPIs. We will evaluate the KPIs. KPI, what's that? Key performance indicators. Key performance indicators, great. Have the key performance indicators with the metrics to certify that you have done what you promised. Excellent. That is such a great brief description. <laughs> I love it. I Sometimes I'm not that um, that brief when I talk about things, but you are so brilliant and so in tune with all of this. You know, I, I, I can't imagine what you dream about at night. <laughs> so many interesting things. Let's talk about, um, as we talked about on the last podcast that you and I did, which would be podcast number 93, um, we saw an increase in sustainability initiatives uh, since the pandemic. And, and we talked about that because of supply chain issues and, you know, your example of uh, remodeling your kitchen and having to wait months and months for that new refrigerator to come in. So let's kind of break this down. What are the long-term risks of not moving forward with this idea? It's a big question. I know it's a big question, but if in a company, the chief operating officers or the board members are not thinking about sustainability risk, then they are exposing the company to long-term business risk. Because yes. Moving forward, we will see supply chain disruption. We will see legal and regulatory fines coming up. We will see reputational damages. We will see increased in operation cost. We will see investment risk. So before it gets- oh, I was going to say, so if you're a COO, that was a lot of things that could go wrong and you better be paying attention. <laughs> saying. And I interrupted you. What was the last part of your thought? I was just saying that if the CEO is not having consideration and measurement targets and key performance indicators of these five risks that I mentioned today. Right, on the, yeah. Right. Today. Then tomorrow, in long term, it's a huge business risk that companies have to face. Exactly. And those five items we, we talked about on the last podcast. So go back and listen to it because it's really interesting. Um, and I'm just thinking in terms of the responsibilities of COOs and, you know, other members of the board of a, of a company, whether it's a small company or a large company, what type of initiatives are we, are we talking about? Is that something you think about? Absolutely. Uh, But I just want to say, we don't want to tell them what to do. (laughs) Like you just said, we want to say here, join the party. And um, here are some things that you can look at. I'll use the phrase, it's principle-based, guys. 
sit. <laughs> we will respect what you do. Here are just some ideas. That's great. Nobody likes to be told what to do, honestly. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, First one is the products. So a lot of CEOs and boards sits and decide what should be the next products for the company. So maybe for the new products, they can take better decisions on the supply chains, on the use case, on the distribution channels, and find these things that are greener and more impactful from a sustainability angle relative to what they have released earlier. So I know every company likes to innovate, innovate in a way where it's green. They do. And as we talked about on the last podcast, I, I feel like it should have just been one long podcast because I keep referring to it. But uh, if you're doing those things, if you're spending time researching and looking at the next product, you know, your R&D process is looking at how to be more sustainable you can get a rebate from the government for that. Exactly. <laughs> Second thing is, you know, every small task in company have a lot of smaller tasks attached to it. I know that we all like to talk big picture, but people who are solving this issue hands-on have to do multiple things to get a project done. And here's an opportunity if we can go a little bit granular and access what is required, what is not required, and from a energy consumption purposes, from the purposes of how it relates to revenue directly, and if we can, you know, increase the green efficiency of the business, cutting the tasks that are not required and consuming energy, that will save a lot of money to the businesses too, and maybe make a small impact on climate as well. A small impact is great. A big impact is even better. But again, we do what we can. We can't do everything, but we need to be doing something. Yes, and third thing, which I really want to do, and I see a lot of businesses that are principal reg regulatory investors and SRI, sustainability responsible investors, are doing is that, you know what, when we make roles and responsibilities of people who we hire in the companies and ourselves, attach green to every role and responsibility. Because if every person from the data scientist in my company to a manager in my company have this responsibility, then, you know, it comes in a system and we get a systematic change, not only in business, but for in our professions or the planet. Yeah, that makes me think about um, working on these processes with every employee of a company, because if they're all bought, if they've all bought into the the process or the initiatives, the even small changes, you're going to meet that goal, whatever it happens to be, because everybody's buying in. Here's a follow-up question, uh, you know, in this process, how do we avoid uh, greenwashing? Companies saying, hey, we're going to do this, but then they don't ever do it or whatever else could be discussed as greenwashing. 
That is why key performance indicator and to certify key performance indicator is very, very important. So if you are saying what you are doing, tell us how we should measure you tomorrow. Mm, that's a good point. Give it's us the metrics. Give us yeah. the metrics and allow us because you in your principle announced to be green. So allow us investors, allow us regulators, allow us consumers to measure how green were you on your own metrics and make it easy for us. Report your disclosures transparently so we can see you did what you said. Exactly. The, everybody's metrics are slightly different. And I'm if we put that into practical thought, if there's a, a even global or you know U.S.-based company, we want them to reduce, or they say they're going to reduce um, packaging in their products. Um, we want to know how they're going to measure that. Have they measured where they are now and the quantity that they're using? Um, you know, what's their process in in trying to do this reduction? And then whatever time period they say. So say they're going to reduce plastics by 25% in the next five years. Just picking a, something out of my head. And we want to know how we're going to measure that in the future. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. And I know I see a lot of stress in the market because look, when we attach measurements, there is an additional cost. But believe me, this additional cost today is a big payoff tomorrow in respect of sustainability risk and reputational advantages. Yeah, it's very interesting and um, helpful information to to pass on. I <laughs> so many questions. I wanted to ask about the um, UN Global Compact and its uh, um, its ten principles, but I'm going to kind of skip that and save it for later. There's so many things we can talk about with that. I, I was thinking in terms of our discussion here, um, there is the Science-Based Targets Initiative, which I, you know, that that's the SBTI, little i. Um, but I'm thinking, I, I read that and I'm looking at the information and I'm doing a little more research and I think, you know, come on, can we really, can we really, really reach the target that they have of, uh one third of the global economy by 2025 making changes, if I understand that correctly, that's three, two years away. How are we going to do that? So, Kim, I know it is a hard task, but I also like when I see every quarter more and more companies join this list. Yeah. What did I read in the article that, um, I don't know, there's, I don't remember what the statistics were. Do you? I, I don't have a number on top of my head. Yeah, I don't either. It was, it was interesting. And, you know, if, if we just look at some of these things in terms of what we're doing here in the U.S., because I feel like Europe is so much farther ahead of us and maybe even some other places, um, you know, there's a, the SEC proposed rules that require publicly traded companies to disclose their climate risks. And, you know, this all plays into the SBTI and where we're going and how we're going to get there. So what about what about those? 
I don't mean to offend anyone. What about the red states who are not on board with this? You can't say green, can't talk about sustainable investing. You can't put our um, state funds in, uh, you know, sustainable quotes, sustainable funds, all of that. How are we going to do that? So Kim, I think that we positioned ESG, environmental, social, and governance, very attached to impact. Knowing that our economic systems still heavily rely on fossil fuels. Knowing that if we want to turn on our heaters in the cold winter and air conditioning in a very hot summer, it will be coming from fossil fuels. So I understand the concern of the red states, but I also see that the acronym of ESG, Environmental Social Governance, is missing F, the finance. Mm, finance. I was going to go in that direction too, but tell me what you're thinking. So if we make finance central to ESG, capital markets do speak language of profitability and risks better than impact. Mm, yes. There is a translation issue that we have to overcome. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, let's let's uh let's really think about this and how we're doing it. Um and and when we talk about finance, uh my question here was um, you know, it, we also talked about supply chain and then we're talking about finance and how do those things fit together? And why is it so important for for banks to get on board with supply chain initiatives? We've seen a number of things um, in the social investment industry and the impact industry about working with banks and and the um, their financing of projects and things and 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 looking at it more sustainably. So how how important is that in the long run? So I think that capital markets are the lifeline of our economic system and lot of business expansions, companies, projects depends on financing from the banks. So if capital markets get more conscious in choosing what projects to finance and what not, we can speed up our race to the two degree or under two degree climate target. This car needs a accelerator and I see banks as the accelerator of this car. Interesting. So banks are gonna lead us forward. They're gonna push us forward is what you're saying. And I, you know, I know we've seen a lot of um, shareholder initiatives around this issue. And, you know, it, it, an example that's not really on the um, E piece, it's more on the S. Uh, there was a big push for banks not to provide financing to um, private prisons. 
and you know we we saw that that whole process happen and so now we're we're really trying to work with banks and saying we need to no longer fund carbon energy projects we need to fund the long-term sustainability projects so that we do reduce company risk it's an adjustment because look we all are living in a times of a technological and a climate breakthrough and yesterday even the first spacex rocket failed <laughs> yeah. um, I love the phrase they used for the failure. It was a rapid, unplanned disassembly. <laughs> a rapid, unplanned disassembly. I'm going to so use that. Have to, there will be some rapid, unplanned disassembly in this rocket of new investing that we are fueling. And we will make mistakes. But we can't stop thinking and building solutions. And our success will be more important. Great. So I want us to kind of wrap up on that thought. You know, we, we have to look for successes. Um, we can't look at failures as the end. It's a learning process. Yes, yes. Yeah. Efforts should be rewarded. We should become more forgiving because I know regulators will come and do the checks. <laughs> so we should become more forgiving because if, I don't want banks, institutional investors, asset managers, and even advisors, financial advisors, not to think about sustainability. They will do take different approaches. Some approaches will be better than others. Take it as a learning process. And if you find that they could have taken a better approach, excuse them and give them a chance. I, the, the effort <laughs> should be rewarded. Yeah, it's true. And I, it, you, we started. The, I started this conversation saying we were back in class, and um, I think that's a good point to to wrap up on. You know, failure equals learning and changes going forward. So any last thoughts you have? Any last thoughts I have? I, the last thought I have is that, you know, I'm, when I sleep, I sleep at night, very beautifully thinking of a special thought that today I, this, I did this, I educated people to bring a small change towards climate. So in your life, every day, do something little. And we won't realize that that target of under two degree climate change, which looks unachievable, may become achievable because we have a collective power and collective power is a catalyst to change. That is very true. Eric, do you have any questions for Pooja? I can't say anything after that statement. That was amazing. I know it was. <laughs> and, say bring the podcast to a screeching halt is what that is. <laughs> it was good. It was so good. Yeah. And I, I also want to remind our um, listeners, you know, Pooja is amazing and the work that she does on um, climate and the reduction of fossil fuels going into our, our climate and, you know, making changes there is amazing. And, if you are 
listening and you are interested in focusing on your personal portfolio or your nonprofit portfolio and seeing how you can take your money and make a difference in in terms of not getting to that 2.0 number, call Johan at Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The number there is 505-982-9661 or info at horizonssfs.com. It's been beautiful with you, Pooja. I always learn so much. Same here. I didn't say a lot this time, <laughs> but I think we are, we make a good team and um, thank you again for joining me for a couple of podcasts and it's been amazing. It's been amazing because, you know, every beautiful answer comes after a beautiful question. Oh, you are such Very a nice. flatterer. <laughs> smooth, right? Pooja, thank you so much for being a, a, an amazing guest again. Kim, of course, this is your show, and I, I appreciate you so much for everything you do and everything you bring to the audience. And speaking of the audience, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Grego Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually helps others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle, the sustainable, responsible, impact investing podcast, reminding you that it's time to invest like you give a damn. If you have questions about this podcast or topics you'd like to hear addressed on an upcoming podcast, please email me at kim at griego-kyle.com. That's G-R-I-E-G-O hyphen K-I-E-L dot com. Or give Horizons a call at 505-982-9661 and be sure to ask for Johan Klassen. Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available and to share this podcast with colleagues, friends, and family. The companies I may speak about during the podcast are not recommendations for investment. Only you and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you. Kimberly Griego-Kyle produces this podcast on behalf of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. is a registered investment advisor registered with the SEC. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. and its financial professionals do not render tax or legal advice. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. None of this content may be used or duplicated without the express written agreement of the podcast host.